1: not a referee. And the coach is the person who is there to help you improve. The referee is the one who's there to point out all the problems. They're not there to make you better.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast, brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community.
2: I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC.
0: And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. This is a special two-part episode. In part one, Darian shares with us critical lessons he's learned from coaching and how he applied them to scale productivity, learning, and value in his engineering teams. Let me introduce you to Darian Shimmy engineering lead at Square. Darian is an engineering leadership veteran with over 25 years experience, having worked in leadership positions at companies like Weebly, Atensity, and eHarmony. Beyond leading engineering teams, he coaches recreational and competitive-level softball teams, and you'll hear several great softball stories later on. Enjoy part one of our conversation
2: with Darian Shimmy. Hey, Darren, thanks so much for spending time with us. Really looking forward to this conversation for a long time. I'm really impressed with your experience with coaching a sport team and how that learning translated into your, your role as an engineer leader. Can you tell us a little bit more on that, the story, and how you navigate the transition?
1: Of course, of course. First of all, thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this for a while, so this is, it's fun to be here. So there's about five takeaways I've had from coaching that has been related to my engineering experience and you know the first ones and and just a little historical so I, i've coached girls softball from you know t-ball from like ages four and five all the way up to competitive high school at various levels and i have two kids who have played so i've been coaching for about 12 years and it's just really been a passion and love for me so the first thing is you know when you're when you're coaching you're not a player you're not the one who's throwing the ball, you're not the one who's swinging the bat. You have to coach other people, you have to get them to perform. And management's the same way. And and what I see a lot of times is when people move from an IC, individual contributor over to a management role, they tend to just add activities, add work for themselves instead of transitioning. And what I mean by that is if they are coding, doing code reviews and doing deployments, they'll continue to do that. They'll continue to write design documents, but then they'll start managing the team as well, allowing them to become overwhelmed. And the goal of the manager should really be to coach the team, not to be the player. They need to be the one who's getting the players to improve. They need to be the one who is helping everyone grow. And that is the number one thing I see when people first move over. The second thing is, you need to develop everybody. And, you know, when you get a team, you have some people who are really talented and some people who are what I'll call rising stars. And not everyone's the same. If you only play the top players, you may win a lot of games, but you're not developing your bench. You're not gonna have the depth that you need if someone's out. And it's the same thing with an engineering team. I'll, I'll give you a quick example, and this actually came up uh, a week ago, is that we have a company-wide initiative for an API committee. And they wanted a representative from every team to attend. And I went to my leads and I said, you know, hey guys, you know, this is what's going on. This is a time commitment. Can you give me a recommendation of some people we should put on? And I had one lead come up to me and said, you know, here's this engineer, very senior, very talented, a lot of interest in API, a lot of experience in API. has been doing it for years. He'd be a great fit. And he was completely right. All-star all the way. And I had another engineer or another lead come up to me and said, here's this engineer, he's not a senior, he's trying really hard, he has a lot of passion for it, but he doesn't have the experience. So what do I do? If I send the senior person, he may not get that much better, but he'll be able to provide a lot of value. If I send the junior person, he'll grow a lot, but he may not be able to contribute as much. So, and this is a problem I have all the time. And in this case, what I ended up doing was I broke the rules and I sent both why send one when you can send two, right? Uh, whereas the lead can now be a, a big contributor and then we also get experience coming up. But it's the same thing. When you have anything going on, I always focus on giving any task that comes up, I try and give it to the person who is it's gonna be a big challenge for. Even if having a senior person would knock it out of the park and give me high confidence, I still want that rising star to be able to contribute to it as well. The third thing is, there's a position for everybody. So when you get your team, you have specific positions, right? You have your pitcher, you have a shortstop, first base, first base has to have a great glove. They don't have to throw that well. Your third baseman has to have a good arm. So everybody has a different skill set, And it's the same thing with an engineering team. I've had people that were this close to being put on a pit, which is right before termination happens. And what happens was we moved them to a different position. And when we moved them, they excelled. And it wasn't that they were a bad engineer. It wasn't that the the projects were too hard. It's just we didn't have a good fit. And a lot of engineering is finding the right fit. It is building out your team, having a well-rounded team, and having people fit in the position where they're going to excel. And the example I just gave, that person is still with us. He's leading a very large team, and he's he's doing very well. So it would have been a shame. It, It would have been a management failure for me to let him go. We just had to move him around.
2: Yeah, I guess that happens a lot. Like engineering leaders don't see a good performance from one of the team members. And then they will do the easy thing to say, well, you're not a good fit. And then they decide to let the person go instead of spending the time and in another position and really not just getting the people on the bus, but also getting everyone to the right seat on the bus.
1: Super important, hands down.
2: So the last thing is, you know, I remember when I was coaching my,
1: my little one and she was probably seven. And she came off the field and I said, good job, good job. She looked at me. Said, this is a seven-year-old. She looked at me and said, what did I do that was good? I thought about it. And I said, you know what? You didn't do anything that was good out there. I said, I'm sorry for saying that. I said, I will always give meaningful feedback in the future. How many times has a manager said, good? You're doing good. You're doing well. Good job. It's empty feedback. It doesn't make people better. No matter my, my best player on the team, they would come in. I said, that was a really good catch, but you could have thrown it faster to first base or like you had a great hit, but you weren't running as fast as you could around the bases. Right? Everybody when, even when they do something well, they can still do it better. And I think as a manager, you need to push the team to continually do better. To, to find out, like they may think that they've hit the top. They go, hey, I'm the best. I can't improve anymore. And it's the job of a leader to go to them and say, no, you can do better. Do you think there's any professional athlete that thinks they are perfect? Absolutely not. They all have coaches. They all have trainers. They all watch game film. They all try and be better every single time because there is no ceiling on how good you can be. And it's the same thing when you're leading a team. It's the same thing when you're coaching a team is trying to find out how they can be better. And a lot of times, what's hard as a manager, you don't always know. You don't always know. Some people will blow your socks off and you're like, wow, I don't know how I can give this person feedback to be better. And at that point, the best thing as a manager, what you can do is ask them a question. What could you have done better? They'll know better than you. And I, I still think the number one tool for a manager is asking a question. Getting people to think. Right, so I my style is not to micromanage. My style is to delegate and let people grow, and I do that by asking questions. When someone makes a mistake, I don't tell them what they did wrong. I ask them what could they do to prevent it from happening again. Let them think about it. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing when you have people who are excelling. They did a great release, maybe ahead of schedule with high quality. I'm like, what could we have done differently to make that better? And a lot of people do this through retrospectives. It happens all the time, but I see a lot of people fail to do it on a one-on-one basis. When you're in the one-on-one meeting and someone's doing well, push them to be better, push them to excel, and you'll see true growth come in a lot of people. It's hard to manage people who are at the top of their game. It's very hard, but I, th-
2: I think that's where like a big challenge comes in for a lot of the leaders. Are there Are times when you're coaching the sport team that the player actually feels good, but... You observe something, you know, area for improvement, and the way you communicate it is that you provide that feedback. Is there a case like that? And how do you handle the the difference in terms of interpretation? Like maybe yeah. expecting, you know, like praise from you or money yes. to feel proud? Yeah.
1: So I'll give you a great example. In softball in the early years, batting is stronger than pitching. So if you're a batter, you're going up there, you know, you there's a pitcher out there, you can just, you don't have to swing the bat. You just sit there and wait. Ball, it'd be ball, ball two, ball three. You get to walk. You get to easy get to the base. Your on-base percentage is really high. From a statistical standpoint, you're doing well, right? But you're not getting better. You're not swinging that bat. You're not getting the double. So for me, what I tell my kids is, hey, good job getting on base. I appreciate you reading the pitches well. I say, but wouldn't it be better if you got a double? I said, let's get the bat on the ball. Right, you know you're gonna have a few pitches to swing at. You know, Let's swing that bat and let's see what happens. In engineering, we have that same thing. Some people may take it easy, say, hey, I got all my tasks done for the sprint, my velocity looks good, I'm great. I'm like, well, okay, can we do more, right? When some people think that they're doing well and they're not, the best way is to explain to them how other people see them and how it impacts them. I found a lot of times people, if they think they're in the right, they may not care if there's a disagreement. But once they start seeing how it impacts their job, I say, you know, if you continue to do this, people may not want to work with you anymore.
2: It's all right? about awareness, knowing that where you are, what actually performing, what's the actual impact you're making to our people. Yes. And that yes. helps drive people to make a change. Yeah. It's, it's like when the batter goes up and he hits it, you know,
1: straight to second base and the first baseman gets out. I'm like, well, yeah, you got on base. But now we don't have, you know, a runner in scoring position, you know, to, to, to make the, the game interesting. So one thing I never want to do is deflate energy from a team. If I have someone who is, you know, energetic on the team, who's working well, but doing the wrong thing, it's very wrong to tell them you're doing the wrong thing. What you want to do is just swing that energy over in the right direction, put some bumpers on them, and just angle it. You can't get it perfect, but angle it in the right direction where you can get the most value out of it. You know, getting someone motivated is super hard at any level in any sport or engineering, right? But if someone's already motivated, you don't want to you don't want to chastise them. You don't want to parade them for saying like, "Why did you work on that task? That wasn't a priority, right?" Say, "Hey, great, thank you. I appreciate the effort there. I'm like, it'd be a huge help if you can help me here as well." You just need to move it, but you never want to tell anyone they did anything wrong. You know, if I told someone to bunt and they hit a home run, what am I going to (laughs) do? I can't say bad hit, right? You know, but I could tell them, like, this was a strategy we had. And this is what ended up happening when you did that, right? And this is what we were shooting for. So, you know, I think helping them understand the context, you know, and and a lot of times they don't, you know, especially players, they don't understand what the coach is thinking at the moment because it's a game-by-game, it's a minute-by-minute decision for the coaching. And a lot of times on an engineering team, they're not may not fully understand the nuances of the strategy. They should have a good high-level overview, but then they may not know the specifics of it. They may not know why this task is so important. And that's where it's really important to communicate as to why they're doing what they're doing, how important it is, how they're contributing to an overall win
2: for the entire team. When you have people on different levels in your team, and then you have the important project, the very tight timeline, and this point, an easy decision for A lot of senior managers that, well, let me put the most experienced person on the project so that uh, I know this project is done well, it's high quality, it's less time. But what's going to happen if they do this over time is they're digging a hole for themselves. Like they're going to have probably a single point of failure because they can overly rely on that person. Meanwhile, the learning opportunity for that person to improve is getting diminished over time. Do you see it happening? How do you come by with that?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's definitely times, look, if you're in a playoff game, right. And you know, you're, you're in the seventh inning softball, they go to seven innings and you know, you need, you have your best batter coming up. You're not going to sub them for, you know, someone who's been on the bench. Right. So there are definitely times like, you have a production outage, like you got to put your best people on it right away. There's, there's no question about that, but you know, the, the question, and this gets a lot to delegation and ICs can delegate too, but, you know, I, I always tell people like, are you providing unique value to the organization? There are certain things that in a top performer, only they can do. And I'm like, that's what you should be focusing on. If there's anybody else who can do what you're doing right now, you should not be doing it. And it's even when I have an engineering lead who says, I created a doc. I'm like, should you have created that doc? Or should someone on your team have created the doc? Even There's a lot of little nuances, even responding to Slack. Someone comes in, or in our Slack room and says, hey, we're having this problem. If the lead jumps in right away and says, oh, let me explain what's happening, they took away an opportunity from someone else to grow. And it's a small thing, right? But being able to respond to that requires critical thinking, requires confidence. There's a whole bunch of skills that they develop from doing that. And it's something that they need to hone in over and over again. They may get it wrong, and that's totally okay. But if the manager is there, they can go in and correct it right away with no harm at all right? That's a great opportunity to let somebody grow. It's the same thing when people are creating docs, when they're responding to Slack, when they're responding to an email, even if they get up in front of a company and give a talk or give a little speech or present something, sometimes companies may have announcements that need to be made. These are all good opportunities to let other people take that on. And it's the same thing with senior people. It's, you know, do you have to be working on that bug? Do you have to be fixing? A lot of senior people love the firefighting. They love jumping in when everything's broken, so because they can fix it well, they're in the zone. When you have the pressure on like that, it's easy to be motivated, right? I don't have to motivate someone like, can you get the site back up? Like, no, 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 they, they're on it, they got it. But other people aren't learning. And this is also the times when they can't, you have your post-game work, your chalk talk, your retrospective, your post-mortem if it's an outage, right? And this is where you know, your bench players should be learning from the senior people. This is an opportunity for your senior people to lead and it's an opportunity for your bench people to grow, right? So when you start chalking up and say, look, we had an outage on Monday, this is what happened, this is what we did, this is how we attacked it. Now, everybody knows that cadence, and hopefully if it happens again, we can get someone else other than a senior person to be working on it. If it's, you know, if it's not customer impacting, but there's some, some, some issue going on, it's great to have a junior person do the work and have the senior person there to jump in when needed. So you can think of the senior people as your relief pitcher as your your new pitcher's going in and they're getting their experience, once the game starts pulling away, you can swap them out. If if they got, you know, a third or two thirds of an inning in, that's great. That's more than they would have gotten if you just went with your senior people. One of my senior engineers came up to me early on. He said, you know, because I asked him, you know, so I had, I had one person, well, I'll give you a great example. So I had one great person I was really struggling to give good feedback because this guy was killing it. He was the most productive person I had never had a complaint, got shit done, was just a great team player, would do anything. Just didn't, he didn't have to get the flashy thing. He didn't need his name, didn't have an ego, did everything well. And he came to me and said, how can I be better? And at that point, I was like, wow, I'm really running out of ideas here. I can't ask him yet again, how can he be better? <laughs> He's asking me. And the answer was, make other people better around you. Be the team captain. And he actually listed out eight things he did that made him as productive as he was and shared it with the team. Now, I don't know what the impact of that was, but that's where your senior people can really help lift the entire team. And a lot of times senior people, like especially if you have a legacy code base, their value is helping people find the area they need to work on fastest. What would take them maybe five or ten minutes may take somebody three hours to find. And that's where people can provide value. So it, it always, it varies on every team, but it's being able to say, how can I make somebody else more productive? How can I help them level up? How can I help them grow? And there's a lot of opportunities on the team for to, to make that happen.
2: Yeah. What is important is how do you leverage your time so that it creates more productivity or value for the entire team?
0: These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. When we do throwing drills, I like to take a a strong player
1: uh, in my rising star and have them throw. I have the best players always throw together, it's not going to help. The, the, the younger players aren't going to be used to the speed. They're not going to be used to the velocity of the ball or the different angles that it comes in. And they're going to watch them. They're also going to say, well, I'm going to want to be better, right? I, you know, someone told me when when I was running a while ago, they said, if you want to run faster, you have to run with faster people. And I think if you want to be better, you need to surround yourself with better people. And if you have You know, some people who are starting off in their their career working with senior people, they will see that. They will aspire to that. You know, I remember being asked, what is culture in a company? So it's a great question, but it's really hard to answer, right? And for me, culture is behavior that is rewarded in an organization. And people tend to emulate rewarded behavior. So when they start seeing senior people doing things and getting praise and recognition and accolades for all their work, They'll start emulating that. What's great is it requires no work from the management, right? It's just happening organically. They're going to see that and go, well, I want to be like that. They're like, I can be better. Like, how does that guy find these issues so quickly? And they may go up to him and say, can you help me? Like, Like, where did you find that? How did you debug that? You know, a great question is, if you really want to increase team productivity, is start sharing all the knowledge of how people debug apps are really complicated now with different services, different tiers, tracing is difficult. If you get someone to come in and say, hey, I've got it nailed. This is how I go find these problems. These are where I look for the logs. And that is a huge first step to get everybody productive, to level everybody
2: up. Yeah. And that's the magic of being a manager that you have the superpower of doing a little thing, seemingly easy to do, spend a very little amount of time, but the impact is humongous because, you do something by inspiring one person and then in turn maybe inspiring the entire organization to do something. So that's, I think that's the superpower of being a manager. A lot of people realize that.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And just, it, just like I said, the, you know, the IEC wants to make himself scale, so does the manager. And, and you do that by like, having everybody work together as a team. And, and this is why, and th- there's different styles of management. I'm not here to say one is better than the other, but you know, in a micromanagement culture where people are told what to do, told what they did wrong, you know, it's a very different relationship. You know, there's a great article that is saying that you should be a coach, not a referee. And the coach is the person who is there to help you, to help you improve. The referee is the one who's there to point out all the problems. They're not there to make you better. And it's the same thing from a micromanager. When a micromanager standpoint, you're going to tell them, like, this is how you needed your job without them actually finding the path. And there are definitely situations where that, is, that works and is necessary. But what I have found to be more successful is when everyone is empowered to kind of lift everyone up together, right? You miss your pitch. It's like, Hey, it's okay. There's another pitch coming. Like you got to, everyone has to kind of build everybody up. Everyone has to be there, you know, in some sense as a cheerleader for everyone else to make them all better, make them motivated, make them feel
2: confident so they can execute well. Yeah. You talk about delegation in the past and I really like the perspective we have on that. One Concern when people are doing delegation is the the risk of failing because delegation means you let other people take on something that are probably less efficient than you do it on your own. So how do you handle that risk? What's your perspective around that? Yeah. So you know, and, and I
1: think it, it's it's a lot of the word failure, and I think we need to get the word failure out of it. So when when someone's at bat and they strike out, they didn't get the outcome they wanted, but did they fail? Maybe they learned something for the next batter coming up. Maybe they learned how this pitcher operates or how the teams are moving in in the outfield and they may be better to do that. So I like to think of it as learning, right? What did we learn from an outcome that was not what we were looking for? And how can we be better as a group? Now, from a management standpoint, there is risk, right? So you want to be careful of, you know, what tasks get assigned to people, the risk of failure, and what will actually happen. But keep in mind that when people don't succeed, they learn and they grow and it's a necessary part of it. And a lot of times it's, you know, I I would say like the best way for a first time manager to think about it, the first time manager that a lot of times they'll get like three to five people on their team and they can still exhibit a lot of control. And I tell people like, what if you had 50 people? If you had 50 people, your actions are very different, right? You're not gonna be able to, you know, review every line of code. You're not going to be there for every deployment. You're not going to be there for every design review, right? You're going to have to get the team to do this and they're going to make mistakes and they're going to fail and they're going to grow from it. And A lot of times when they make a mistake, they know it and you need to be there to make sure that they've learned from it and that we have necessary control. So it doesn't happen again, but they're the ones who didn't execute, not you, right? And you can't be everywhere. So getting people, you know, to care, to execute, to learn, is what needs to happen. And I think when when the fear comes out of this this concept of failing is when people really start to grow. You know, I I tell people, you know, when they're they're playing the game, they have to be relaxed. They have butterflies in their stomach. If they're nervous, they're playing with fear, and that's a burden. It's like having a backpack on when you're running. You can't do it. You have to take that backpack off. You have to be free. You have to be, like, enjoying it. And a lot of times you can just see the stress. Somebody goes up and this sounds absolutely crazy. But when I have batters come up and I see the terror in their eyes, I tell them to do one thing and it does works wonders. And that the one thing is smile. As you put the biggest smile on your face. And even when people are like exercising and working out, they'll smile and they'll breathe in as quickly as they can. It does something with your endorphins and everything else. It gets you positive, gets you relaxed, gets you ready to go. So when things aren't going well, right? It's not that coming down and being angry. It's like, hey, like, then it goes playing. Like, what did we learn? How can we be better next time, right?
2: You need to turn into a positive moment. And then the failure isn't so bad. And you understand that you have to have the mindset that it's okay for the task that you dedicate to another person to fail because it creates a great learning opportunity that is not replaceable by a success story. Yes. I was really just curious about how
0: you impact the managers of managers to create that consistency of of good management and good coaching.
1: Yeah. So a lot of it is lead. I mean, it sounds basic, but it's lead by example. So when the managers see success elsewhere, they'll tend to emulate that as well. So when you start telling them, you know, we actually, we have this, so with the shelter in place that a lot of people are facing right now, we have, the thing that we've noticed is a lot of people aren't taking vacation, right? A lot of people cancel their summer plans and things like that. And as a management, we're concerned about burnout. People are concerned about, hey, if I take time off, it's going to look like I'm not helping and contributing, right? So what we're trying to do is we're trying to, you know, highlight when a manager takes time off. And I say, hey, I'm taking some time off to be with my family, or I'm taking some time off because I need some mental health time. And we're trying to make, you know, change the culture so where they feel it's okay to take a day off here and there, and they don't have to feel guilty when they do that. And I think from a a management standpoint, like how I try and impress my style upon everyone is I don't force it. I say, look, you're the manager. You need to do what, you know, works for you, right, because ultimately they have to feel in control to make success. But I tell them, like, this is what I would do. And generally, if it's reasonable, it tends to work. Even when I, I've coached a lot of other coaches at times and told them, you know, this is how I help players, you know, who are casting when they when they swing a bat, right? Or this to help players who are, who are throwing incorrectly. And then a lot of it is very reasonable. They'll look at it and go, yeah, that seems to work. It doesn't mean they're going to have success with it, but you're just giving them additional tools to use. And over time as a manager, if you keep leveling up your managers and keep giving them tools and giving them ideas and recipes, you know, and and a playbook for how to do their job, it's going to tend to end up, you know, emulating your style. And that's where, you know, it tends to work. And, And I've had managers that have been promoted from within, which the job is super easy because they're not really coming with much of a style and they're going to pretty probably emulate what you have. And if other people have come in who have been very seasoned and very experienced, like, this is how I like to run things. I'm like, great, you need to be successful. I'm like, this is how I would have handled that situation a little differently and help them see that. But in the end, you got to remember that everyone is going to make their own decisions. They're going to need to, you know, work on their gut instincts, you know? So I had a first time manager who came in and he was, he had a team and we had one, one engineer who had been there for a while who his performance started to go down. And there's two things the manager could have done at this point. He could have went up to him and said, you know, I've noticed your performance isn't very good. You either need to make an improvement or we're going to have to let you go. It would have been completely reasonable, right? I wouldn't have, you know, I may have worded it differently, but I'm like, yeah, okay, I see that. The other side, right, was assuming positive intent, trying to see, hey, is there, you know, is, is this person okay? And he went up to him and said, you know, I noticed your work has kind of trailed off recently. He goes, is everything okay? And this person was rather private. He didn't share a lot of his personal life or anything. He came, he finally came out and said, you know what, my cancer is back and I'm on chemo again. Because I'm having a really hard time uh, focusing. Like, take some time off. Like, don't worry about it. We got it. You know, it's like, it's okay. You know, he never would have said anything. I'm convinced to this day, if we would have said, you need to improve or you're out of here, he wouldn't have said anything. He would have just tried and maybe failed. You know, if you work with people long, and I think this is also a problem in a lot of the tech, is that people don't stay very long. They stay for 18 months, right? 12 months, 18 months, most two years sometimes. I've had engineers with me who've been at the company for 12 years, 12 years, right? I mean, I've been in my role for eight years and a lot of people i work worked with have been there for that time or longer. You think in eight years or 12 years, you're not gonna have something in your personal life that's gonna impact your professional performance? You're not gonna have a family member that passes away, you know, a financial problem, a legal problem, maybe there's a lot of things that can come up, right? And I don't think you throw somebody away because of the first thing at home. It's this is important to understand that most people are good people. They're going to work hard. And when they have things, and, and not everyone's willing to share as much as others are, but when they have something at home that is affecting them, it's going to carry over to work. And it's important to recognize that you know, sometimes they need a little latitude. Sometimes they need a little space. And to that manager who was a first-time manager, he said the right thing. He said, is everything okay? and they worked it out. And that engineer is still here today. And this, this was at least six years ago. He's doing a great job. So it's one of those things that, you know, I think from, uh, from a style standpoint, right, you know, I, I tell stories a lot. So like, I'm mentoring a couple people at work, and they, you know, I said, like, how can I help you, right? I want, I want to hear from them what they want. And they said, they just want to hear the stories, because they want to see what the behavior is. They wanna see the situational, right? They don't want me to give them a recipe of this is how you do a one-on-one meeting, right? There's a ton of content out there for that. But it's like, hey, when I did a one-on-one and my people keep coming to me and they don't have anything in the agenda, how did you handle that? Those are the
0: stories they wanna hear. Or how do you get people to really like speak up and open up? I really admire the the thinking and stories and how that really resonates with people, because even you just sharing this, this story, I'm going to remember that for a long time about the importance of treating people as human and helping them deal with the things that are going on in their life. And just the, the connection then that you then have as you're in your relationship, but also then the connection that they have to the organization as somebody or as a source of support for them in hard times. I think that's really powerful.
1: Yeah. And, and I think like right now, there's a lot of managers out there who have, you know, a lot of people are working from home in our field. Not everybody has, you know, a good, a comfortable setup. Not every, you know, there's a lot of people who may have like a one bedroom apartment that they share with their spouse or partner, and they have a kid at home. They don't have a good environment to work. They don't have a place, right? It's stressful for them, right? So I think there's a lot of people who understand that and they're reaching out and say, hey, do the best you can. You know, they, they, they know that, They could have undue family stress right now. They're talking about it, but they didn't talk about it before the shelter in place, before COVID-19, right? But it's something that people, I hope will continue doing the mental health checking. Like, are you doing okay? How are things, right? Getting to know them a little bit better. It goes a long way, kind of having that rapport. You know, I I had had one engineer, this is when I was at eHarmony a while ago, He was a really pretty, he had, this is just dating a little bit. He had his iPod (laughs) with a a ton of songs. (laughs) He'd have his headphones on. He would come in in the morning, doesn't say anything, sits down, coat away, go out and leave, really didn't socialize or anything. And I needed to talk to him a few times. Anytime I went up, he would take it off. He'd roll the eyes. He's like, what? You know, borderline disrespectful. That's okay. Right. And I realized, you know, it took me a while. And and he was really into motorcycles. You know, he would joke that he would be able to put his knee down, leaning in like on the freeway. And I'd be like, please wear a helmet, right? So instead of coming up to him in the morning going, hey, you know, how's this task coming? You know, I went up to him and said, did you go riding this weekend? How's your bike? You know, did you get that new part? Did you update this? You know, have you popped any wheelies? I mean, I don't know anything about cycles, but I can at least strike a conversation with him. He opened up right away. He was like, oh, he took it off. And it was like, because I cared about him and he saw that, right? And, and it was genuine. I was like, I, I would literally look forward to talking about what he did on the weekend. He raced and all this other stuff. He showed me pictures. Like we started talking about that. That became our thing that we went through. And after that, it was so much easier for me to have a conversation with him. And it really helped establish that bond of you know, caring for people,
0: talking to them, like treating them as a human, right? Not as a machine, as a robot. Here is a recap of the key takeaways. The first one, your role as a manager is to coach the team, not to be the player or referee. Referees point out the problems. Players execute. Coaches help people improve. Focus on helping the team improve and grow. Find where they can be better. And if you're dealing with a top performer and don't know what feedback to give, ask them, what could you have done better? Or ask them, what could we have done differently to make that better? And if you've already asked that question and you're still stumped, ask them, where can they make other people better? Takeaway number two. As a manager, leverage your time to scale the learning, productivity, and value of your team. Here's how you do that. Don't just develop your top players. You want to build yourself a deeper bench by giving challenging tasks to your more junior team members. Senior people are your quote-unquote relief pitchers. If it's critical and the game is pulling away, Sub your more senior people in, but you want to make sure that your senior people are focused on things only they can do. And if someone's effort is in the wrong place, don't deflate the energy from your team. Motivating people is hard. Redirect their effort by saying, I appreciate your effort. It'd be a huge help if you can help me out here as well. And then share why it's important and how they're contributing to a win for the overall team. On top of all of that, culture is rewarded behavior. What you recognize your senior people for will get emulated by junior team members. This is the key to coaching good management in your teams at scale. Our third takeaway is all about how to overcome the fear of delegating. At larger scales of management, so think 50 people, 500 people, you have far less control. And oftentimes what burdens your team is the fear of failure. That's going to impact performance. And so what you need to do as a manager is remove the fear by creating a learning experience from what happened. The experience of failure cannot be replaced by sharing a success story. So when people make mistakes, your job as a manager is to ensure that they learn and grow and that the appropriate controls are put in place so it doesn't happen again. Our last takeaway is the people that we work with are human and want to feel cared for. Most people are good people. They want to work hard. Get to know your people, ask how they're doing, and ask if they're okay. Our personal lives carry over and impact our work. If there's a performance issue, first ask, how are they doing? Because if it is personal, sometimes people just need a little latitude and a little space. We'd like to give a special thanks to Mesmer, the exclusive accessibility partner of the Engineering Leadership Podcast. Mesmer's AI bots automate mobile app accessibility testing to ensure your app is always accessible to everybody. To jumpstart your accessibility and inclusion initiative, visit mesmerhq.com forward slash ELC. You can also follow the link in our show notes. That's mesmerhq.com forward slash ELC. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. Or you can also follow the link in our show notes. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.